Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. You can connect with God, and we can help. By the time I finally arrived on the campus of Colorado Christian University, I was rearing to go. And first semester didn't disappoint. For the last few years, I was the only Christian in my high school that I knew of, so it felt rather lonely at times, which meant the Christian community on campus was a deep breath of fresh air. I had always struggled with my English and and history classes in high school and trying to see how this was going to ever help me do what I felt like I was called to do. You see, for a few years at that point, I had already felt called to be a pastor. But when I went to my New Testament class and my theology class that first semester on campus, I was dialed in. Like, it clicked. This made sense. I could see how this was going to help me do what I felt called to do. I even got a tennis scholarship that first semester, so I was getting paid to play tennis. Now, keep in mind, it was very little, but paid nonetheless to play the sport I love. And to top things off, I met a really cute girl on the tennis team, and we started to date. My first girlfriend. I strutted around campus with my head held high. Then... When I returned for second semester, my dream became a nightmare. My girlfriend texted me she needed to talk, and the sudden breakup left me heartbroken. My backhand in tennis just vanished, and before I even walked onto the court to face my opponent, I already lost in my mind. I applied to be an RA the following year, and for the first time in my life, I opened a letter of rejection. I felt like a reject, heartbroken, lost, rejected. My head hung low as I scoured my way through the rest of second semester. Now, if you fast forward a couple years, I walk across the stage, I proudly shake President Armstrong's hand, and the world is before me. I proudly hung my college diploma on my office wall as I started my first job in pastoral ministry. I was the middle school director at a church in Littleton. All the classes, tests, essays, finally, I was now getting to apply what I was learning in real life. I couldn't wait. Two months later, I married my best friend, Amanda. She walked down the aisle and we just were so eager to start our life together. After our honeymoon, we moved into the apartment at Denver Seminary that we started our life together in, and I was a student on campus at Denver Seminary studying to continue uh, my education and being a pastor, getting my Master of Divinity, and we were so excited about what God had before us. But then the, the dream was dashed again. You see, Only four months in to pastoral ministry, I wasn't connecting with the students like I always hoped and dreamed. And I felt uh, just smothered by my boss. I had studied for four years, but in just four months on the job, I was ready to quit. And I was talking to my boss about it. Amanda was starting her career too. For her, she was a nurse. 
and being a new grad nurse meant she worked nights, weekends, and holidays. Not what I pictured when I proposed. This all kind of threw me for a loop and I felt, I felt like I was in one of the darkest seasons of my life. There were many nights I cried myself to sleep, loneliness, depression setting in. And this pattern from first, sem first semester, freshman year of college, and even really first semester of seminary of my situation setting my mood, like I, I succumb to my situation, it's as if I'm a thermometer. I'm not proud of this pattern, and I don't want to be a thermometer. I want to be a thermostat. I want my attitude and actions to impact my circumstances, not my circumstances impact my attitude and actions, as Amanda has encouraged me over the years. None of us want to succumb to our situation. So how can we be thermostats and not thermometers? Now. This is what we're going to discover today because it's not just our own desire, it's actually God's desire for us and His design for us if we have a relationship with Him. And as we're doing throughout this plotline series, we're going to look at a story from the Old Testament to learn, and then we're going to be inspired by a story from our own church family because God wants to intersect our story in a way that we want to share it with others. So if you got a Bible with you, I would encourage you to turn with me to Genesis 37. We're going to be looking at the story of Joseph. It's a little bit of a longer story. So I'm going to read portions of it and then I'm going to summarize others, but I encourage you to follow along with me. Now, if you need a Bible, you can of course follow along in our app where you can also take some notes. Now, Joseph was the great grandson of Abraham. You know, Father Abraham, who had many sons, he's the great grandson of Abraham. And Joseph had big dreams, big God dreams. And we're going to see how those come about because Joseph started in an unlikely place. He was a shepherd with his brothers, tending to his father's flock. And it's here that we pick up the story. But first, let's pray and ask to hear from God. Lord, you are so good. And we would ask that you would speak to us now, that you would draw us closer to yourself, that you would help us to be thermostats and not thermometers in the lives that we live. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Parents aren't supposed to have favorites, but Joseph was his father's favorite. Kind of like my favorite child is, I would never say that, because I don't have a favorite. I love Hannah, I love Chloe, and I'm excited to meet our third in March. But Jacob did have a favorite. Jacob favored Joseph, and all of Joseph's brothers and Jacob's sons knew it, because Jacob gave Joseph this cloak of many colors, and Joseph proudly strutted around with it. To top things off and add insult to injury, Jake, uh, excuse me, Joseph actually had a dream, two dreams, in fact, one about sheaves of grain and, and another about sun, moon, and stars. And in these dreams, his family bowed down to him. Now, because Joseph was feeling good about himself, he felt that he should share this with his family. And they responded about as well as you'd expect. But Joseph, nonetheless, shares these dreams that God's placed on his heart. And we can learn something here. When God gives us dreams, sometimes they don't make a ton of sense to us in the moment, but they often will make even less sense to others. Either way, God's dreams come about on God's 
timeline. And if your experience is anything like my experience, often God's timeline is a little slower than we like. I don't know about you, but I'm, I, I appreciate a good microwave, whereas God appreciates a good, hearty crockpot meal. Now, sometimes things even will get worse before they get better. And this was certainly the case for Joseph. Enough was enough for Joseph's brothers. So they decide one day to sell Joseph into slavery. It was better than the alternative, which was also on the table for them, just to kill him altogether. But one of the brothers stood up for Joseph and they sold him into slavery. Now, imagine this. Joseph has just had these dreams about his family bowing down to him. And then days later, he is sold into slavery. I mean, talk about a step backwards. But Joseph didn't let his circumstances set his mood. Oh no, listen to this. In Genesis 39, 2 through 6. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Success followed Joseph into slavery, and God blessed the work of his hands. Slavery is far from ruling, but Joseph didn't focus on what could have been. Joseph instead focused on what was right before him, a testament to his character. Now, Joseph served Potiphar humbly, and Potiphar honored Joseph. He put him in charge of everything that Joseph uh, could have even been in charge of, his whole household. Now, Potiphar's wife noticed Joseph too, and she thought he was handsome, attractive, clearly had some level of influence in the home, and Potiphar's wife tried to seduce Joseph, but Joseph was a man of noble character, so he refused. Potiphar's wife, not so noble. She one day tried to take Joseph to sleep with her in, in bed, but Joseph uh, refused, and you know what she did? She accused him of rape, which resulted in his imprisonment. First, He's a slave, now he's in prison. I mean, the dreams that God gave Joseph, they are as far from his reality as they could possibly be. But when given lemons, Joseph, by God's work in him, choose, chose to make some lemonade. I mean, just look at this. Now in, in verse 20, the second half of verse 20, in chapter 39. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Success followed Joseph to slavery, and then it followed him to prison because God blessed the work of Joseph's hands. Because yet again, Joseph served humbly. The warden, like Potiphar, took notice, and the warden gave Joseph more and more responsibility. 
You know, some of us want more responsibility at work. Now, what if, like Joseph, we gave our all to the task at hand? What if we served humbly in what was right before us? We want to climb the corporate ladder. We want more and more influence, responsibility. But what if we instead took that time, effort, energy, and we used it to help others climb the ladder? We set it up for others to climb. Imagine what that would be like. In a way, that's kind of what Joseph was a part of. You see, while in prison, God used Joseph to interpret a few others' dreams. Uh, It was the baker to Pharaoh and the cupbearer to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And they both had dreams one night, and Joseph catches wind of it, and he interprets the dreams for them. And within a matter of days, both of the dreams come true just as Joseph interpreted Interpreting dreams wasn't Joseph's problem. And Joseph saw the dreams realized of these people. I mean, the cupbearer ends back up in the presence of of Pharaoh. And the only problem is is he forgets Joseph. So Joseph is stuck in prison for another two years. And as we see... What do we do when when God's timing is not our timing? When things seem to be moving slower than expected? Well, like Joseph, stay the course. Serve humbly. Jesus would later teach that it's our faithfulness in the little things that demonstrates our ability to be faithful in big things. Now, if you're anything like me, that's challenging because my, my tendency is to strive to to try to do whatever I can to see God's dreams come about my way. But that's not what we're called to. At least that's what I'm learning. God's not looking for us to strive. He's looking for us to stride. For me to be faithful, putting one foot in front of the other each day. This is certainly what Joseph did. And it reminds me of something Mark Batterson says. When we do the little things like they're big things, God does big things like they're little things. This was certainly the case for Joseph. Uh, Two years later, Pharaoh has his own sequence of dreams, and no one in his court can interpret them for him. And it's then that the cupbearer remembers, oh, that guy Joseph. I bet he could do it. So Pharaoh calls Joseph, and after a shave and a shower, Joseph shows up in the presence of Pharaoh, and Genesis 41, 15 and following records it for us. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Okay, even though Joseph had tons of success, I mean, it filled his resume, Joseph humbly recognized his inability, but God's ability to interpret Pharaoh's dream. And and Joseph's wisdom was due to his experience of God's grace in his life. And there's a lesson for us here as well. When when we find ourselves in a position of prominence, an opportunity to kind of show what we're made of, we need to be sure to give God the credit. Because it's not because of our own doing, our own intellect, our own skill set that we're in the position that we're in. It's because of God's grace in our life. We don't deserve anything before us, but God pours out his blessing, his grace, his favor on us. So when we get an opportunity along the way, let's be sure to give God the glory that he deserves. 
With God's help, Joseph proceeded to interpret Pharaoh's dream. And Pharaoh is impressed by this. Joseph explains the meaning of the cows, the, the meaning of the grain, and he tells Pharaoh that seven years of feasting are about to happen. But after those seven years, seven years of famine are going to follow. And God is telling Pharaoh this through Joseph, through these dreams, because God wants Pharaoh to take the seven years of feasting and store up food for the seven years of famine. And when Pharaoh hears this from Joseph, this is how he responded in verse 37 of chapter 41. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command and people shouted before him, make way. Thus, he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Okay, as only God could orchestrate, Joseph's humble service resulted in a position of honor. Joseph was going to lead the nation through the next 14 years. You see, from shepherding to slavery to prison and now to second in command, Joseph served humbly all along the way. And let me tell you, from the age 17 to age 30, it was a wild ride for Joseph. Joseph had an influence in Potiphar's house, he had influence in prison, and now he had influence in Pharaoh's court. But none of this was the dream that God had given Joseph. Joseph dreamed about influence with his family, a dream that seemed more far off than ever. Well, that is until the famine swept the land. There were seven years of feasting and then two years into the seven years a famine. So nine years after Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream, his brothers show up and they're in search of some food. Jacob, their father, had sent them to Egypt to get food because they needed food for their family to survive. 22 years after God originally gave Joseph his dream, Joseph sees his brothers come and they bow at his feet. They don't know who he is, but he knows who they are. And you can, you can read the whole story about how all this goes down in, in Genesis 42 through 44 this week. But basically, Joseph kind of plays along with them for a while. He inquires about his family, and then he looks for an opportunity to bless them. And when he does reveal his identity on another trip that his brothers take to Egypt for another round of food, Joseph revealed his identity to them, and, and this is how it went down. This is in Genesis 45, 3 through 11. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him. They were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I'm your brother, Joseph, the one you sold to Egypt. 
And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it is not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds, and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. What Joseph's brothers intended for evil, God redeemed and used for good. And Joseph got it, so he told his brothers all about it. And when we see God's hand at work in our lives, or we see his hand at work in someone else's life, we, like Joseph, should share all about it. Because this honors God and it inspires others. Because Joseph humbly recognized his position and, and recognized God's providence over the situation, he humbly served his family in the situation. You see, his family bowing down to him wasn't uh, about him just having tons of power and authority and exerting that over his family. No, no, no. God was doing some character development up until that time so that when he was in that position of prominence, position of power and authority, he used it to humbly serve his family. What a good leader does. His, his time humbly serving as a slave and then humbly serving in prison enabled him to humbly serve when he was second in command over all of Egypt. Because God does character development along the way for Joseph and for you and me. Jacob has his whole family move to Egypt, just like Joseph says, and Joseph ensured they were well taken care of. They didn't just survive the famine, they thrived in the years that came. So eventually, Joseph, Jacob died though. And Joseph's brothers panic. They are, they're freaked out. They're like, okay, here it comes. Joseph is now going to pay us back for us selling him into slavery. But Joseph's response is the wisest thing he ever said. Listen to this in Genesis 50, 19 through 21. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph's high view of God enabled his humble view of self. And like Joseph, may God's faithfulness overall spur us to be faithful through it all. Because the big idea we learn from this story is this. Because God is over every situation, we should humbly serve in every situation. Serving humbly is something we can do in every situation because it's not dependent upon the position we hold. Serving humbly is about our posture of our heart. Listen to this story from our church family because Brenda has a heart of service and I'd love for you to hear from her 
why that is. Check this out. Hi, my name is Brenda Warner and I live in Highlands Ranch with my husband Jeff. So I first started serving in church um, probably 20 years ago. I was asked to serve communion and it was terrifying because I dropped things and um, I didn't exactly know the flow of things, but they asked so I answered and I did it. Um, and I'm really glad that I did it. It was a very rewarding experience. I felt closer to Jesus and I got to know a lot of um, really nice people in the church as well. So I choose to give up my time to serve at church um, because it doesn't feel like I'm giving up my time. Um, I go and I meet people and I get to share the love of Christ. Um, I also, then I feel like I have to go to church. Sometimes I just want to stay in bed and be lazy. But if I'm serving, I will be there. And I've never regretted going. I've never regretted staying later. And it just adds such value that I, I almost feel like it serves me as much as it serves others. I would say it's the Holy Spirit. Um, when you're just with people, not even at church, but just in community, if someone needs help, it just feels right to go and help them. And with such joy, it's like it it fills my heart with joy to know that I'm helping someone and easing their burdens. Um, also, I think other people have served me and I kind of want to pay it forward. And Jesus served us um, by dying on the cross. And if we can just help just one person um, feel that love, then it's totally worth it. Um, so serving others has impacted how I feel about my relationship with Jesus. When I take the time to serve and I think of others, it just it draws me closer to Jesus and I feel like the Holy Spirit is more active in my life, um, especially if you just you know wake up and you're you're looking at, for people to serve or like God, who am I gonna help today? Um, and so I think when you're when that's on your mind more, that Jesus in your relationship with Jesus is just so strong. Um, and then after you serve, you, you know, you get these feelings and you, you just feel the love of Jesus in your heart. So, I mean, why wouldn't you do it more? So thank you for um, this opportunity to share. Take care. I love how Brenda asks, who can I help today? Because as only God can, when we do the little things, God does big things, as if they're little things. And God's dreams are going to be fulfilled God's way. So let's do the little things and let's trust Him with the big things and see how He moves things along the way. Our attitude about the situation should inspire our actions in the situation. And imagine with me if this was the case for us, that if we were thermostats instead of thermometers, instead of your mood succumbing to your situation uh, and maybe getting depressed when things aren't going well at work, what if instead you focused on doing your best each day along the way? Or what if 
instead of getting anxious and worked up and worried about, about your kids when they're at school or, or maybe even at Connect Kids on a Sunday, imagine being able to be present and at peace in the moment because you know God's over it all. He's got, it. He's got your kids covered and taken care of. Instead of rushing the process, we enjoy the journey. Whether we're a thermostat or, or a thermometer, it's up to us, but it's dependent upon God's work in us. Let's pray. God, would you work in us in such a way that we have a, a high view of you and a humble view of ourself? And would we be able to be present in the moment at hand? Would we be able to serve the people right before us? Would we be able to serve our neighbor? Would we be able to serve our family, our co-workers, and will we be able to serve as a part of a team with our church? Because we want to see your dreams come about your way. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.